ourselves, am I aware, or what am I aware of, or how am I aware? I know how to answer the first two questions often, but that third one, how, am I saying like lightly or deeply, or am I saying with aversion, or what's... So the comment is about uh, asking, is the mind aware? That's one. What am I aware of, or what is what is the object of awareness? Second, and the third was how am I being aware? This really refers to attitude of mind, really, so that you're checking, and you might ask, what's the attitude of mind with which I am being aware? So that that's just a little more, a little fuller statement about what it is we're looking at. It's like, <clears throat> it's not, it, it includes something like motivation uh, and whether there's techniquing or whether there's some expectation or anything like that that would be in how you're being aware. I mean, we, we can't really create a moment of awareness. You know, it's like, how do, we, how do we put together a moment of awareness? We can look, we can ask, we can uh, notice and confirm awareness or not, but it's like okay, if I'm totally, if I'm totally not aware, we're not checking awareness, and so we're not aware. But as soon as there's some inquiry, like is the mind aware, or what's the attitude of mind, then that is the remembering that checks the awareness and the interesting thing about the question is the mind aware if you ask the question you can never answer no <laughs> I mean that's that's what's amazing it's like if you ask the question is the mind aware it always is right then so when I say uh, in the instructions oh remember to recognize the present moment's experience well, the remembering is, that's, that's what we have to get kind of internalized. The instructions we want to internalize is to remember to recognize. And we can recognize the object, we can recognize the awareness, or we can recognize the attitudes of mind with which we are being aware. So any of those, any of those things can be what is noticed when we ask the question, or when we remember to recognize the present moment. Yeah. Now, the, now the, the, inter or the one thing I want to just mention is that awareness doesn't judge uh, what you're aware of. Awareness doesn't have the... Awareness itself, pure awareness, doesn't have a reactive response to what is being known. If there's liking or disliking or anger or irritation or frustration or fear of what is being known, that is not the nature of awareness itself. That is uh, a filter on the mind through which you're viewing the experience or it's a reaction in the mind to the experience and it too is being known. But in and of itself, we can't say that oh, aversion is awareness or desire is awareness. That's not quite right. The, 
the awareness is another kind of activity of the mind. It's this recognizing the awareness piece. Helpful? Yeah? Okay. Just to follow up on that, and if you're saying, is this skillful? Is this skillful? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that a judgment? I'm, I'm confused about non-judgmental, and then, but you do know skillful from unskillful. Oh, sure. So, awareness itself doesn't choose skillful or unskillful. You know, you look at you. You can look at something, and you can see pleasant or unpleasant. You can recognize whether this would, or if you're behaving, or if, if you're acting out, you can know whether you're behaving or misbehaving. You know, meaning is it skillful action or is it an unskillful action? You can know that. I mean, mindful mindfulness is what really tells you this is a skillful or an unskillful. Mindfulness and wisdom together. Okay. Yeah. So I don't think I have ever actually experienced that explicitly asked myself those those questions. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I'm, I'm answering them just in my awareness and in my mm-hmm. paying attention. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I don't think I've ever like had that explicit sort of question mm-hmm. and I tried to answer it. Mm-hmm. Um, should I be? <laughs> so the comment is never have explicitly asked those questions of yourself when practicing. And should you be? It's not necessary, but it's kind of technique It's a kind of a technique. You could ask yourself, what's the object? And that kind of directs your attention to recognize what is being known. Or when you ask, is the mind aware? The only way you can answer that is to to look here. And so it's just a the questions are pointing to the the answer which is an experience of awareness itself. Yeah. So it's good they're 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 good questions to ask. But sometimes just having heard, you know, remember to recognize the present moment's experience, well, that's what you're doing. You just you know, you're doing, you're doing. Sometimes you do it well, well and continuously, sometimes not so well. And maybe you don't, if you don't need to ask the questions, that's fine, also. So I think, uh, so I'm feeling some resistance towards the questions. You're feeling some resistance towards the questions? And I think it's um, because it moves the experience into the thinking mind instead of the, what I'm experiencing. Mm-hmm. And maybe I just came from, was walking around the fountain. And I was very aware. Yes. It was yes. A, a just, yes. you know, I had a lot of awareness, and I was, and I was very aware as my, as the, the object of attention was shifting from the sound to the bird flying overhead to mm-hmm. the tree. Like mm-hmm. I was very aware of it, and I feel like if I had been asking myself those questions, I would have been. Ah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so maybe it's just because of the experience I just had. 15 minutes ago that I was listening to the question. Yeah. The question. Yeah. Whereas I had had a different meditation experience where those questions may have been more helpful. Yes. Okay, so now I understand what, what you're asking. So what I heard you just say is that when you were outside walking around, you were very aware of 
you're, you're aware of awareness and you're aware of everything you were seeing, hearing. You're just aware of, you know, just this kind of easeful global awareness, mm-hmm. panoramic, uh, all sense doors, awareness, and recognizing that you're knowing all that. Then to ask the question then is kind of redundant. You know, I, no, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ask the question then either. either. I would ask, I would use the questions to prompt, you know, if, if you're seeing, you know, the times when you're seeing that, oh, mindfulness or awareness is really sluggish or slow or uh, fragmented or just kind of erratic and off and on, stop and stop, then you might ask the question with some, not, not as a kind of a continuous thing, is the mind aware? Mind aware, mind aware. Not not that, but just to as a reminder of like, you know, you're you're kind of wallowing around in daydreams and night dreams and kind of, and then you and then you remember, oh, is the mind aware? Oh, there we go. Established. So it's it's their questions that prompt initiative, initiating or. Uh, Begin recognizing again. Oh, this is awareness, rather than if there's a momentum of awareness, then no, don't get out. No, get out of your own way. I mean, don't, don't. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and 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 you'll see that there are times when, of course, there's a lot of momentum, and it's just quite naturally walking around, and no, no problem at all being aware with some continuity. Great. But it's not always like that. <laughs> yeah, anything else? So in working with defilements, um, the sort of knot that we had talked about before, the, the layers of, yeah. of things, um, what I'm noticing is in going through the R's, um, there's there's one feeling, one uh, defilement, shame, say, and it begins to transition into disgust or um, guilt, um, judgment. I mean, it just starts to peel like that. And so sometimes I'm able just to follow that, and sometimes I get lost in... Um, should I be trying to do this R process with all these different... And then I get kind of lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just wondering, yeah. some suggestion to simplify that? Or yeah, so the comment is about, you know, a multiple defilement attack. <laughs> right? so, so, so you kind of... You look at one and suddenly, wow, there's a whole half dozen of things going on. You know, there's guilt, shame, anger, irritation, striving. To, it's like, you know, and how am I going to do all the R's with all of those things? You know, like, I recognize, I relax. It's like, yeah, no, that's, that's, okay. Again, the, uh, the systematic, formulaic process of working with any one of the defilements or tortured states of mind Recognize, relax, reframe. Blah, blah. That again is a technique to encourage, prompt, remind you of how to and that you can work with these things. 
once there's some momentum to awareness and you've, you've, you've practiced this in this way, this kind of investigation, just, okay, what's going on? Then, you know, your mind can do those six things in, instantly. You know, it's not, it's not like you got to go five minutes on, recognize, five minutes on, relax. No, no, no. It's just like, okay, got it, next, next, next. So it can be quite quick, but you don't have to check to make sure that you're doing all six. You know, it's just like the purpose of them is to be, is to encourage you and to train the mind to look in this way. So once the mind is trained to look in this way at unpleasant uh, events, experiences, then it becomes a habit, and then you just do it. You don't. Uh, again, this the the whole sequence of steps is just to kind of break down the whole process so that you can see what it is you're doing. You know, you're not just in there badgering, you know, flailing away. You're kind of like recognize, relax, you know, restrain, reframe, receive, recognize, realize. Okay, next, next, next. So once you've, once you've, ex, once you've experienced, once you've gone through it logically or uh, kind of sequentially, and you you know what relaxing means in relation to it, and you know what reframing means, and you know, and you've experienced it, then you don't have to do it every time. Your mind already does it. It just does it. It's built in. It's like learning a good habit. You know, so you train yourself to to respond to difficult emotional or just mental states, states of suffering. You train yourself to respond in this way rather than avoiding, denying, running away, minimizing, blaming, getting angry at yourself or others, which is our usual conditioning. That, that's, that, that's, that's what we usually do until we learn, oh, there's another way, there's another reason for looking this way, there's another way of doing this. Train yourself, and then it becomes habitual, or it becomes automatic, almost. Yeah, I, 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 I never do those hours. I, ne- <laughs> you know, I don't. I mean, the, if, if anything, the one I would sometimes do is like, what's going on here? You know, and then that will help me to recognize, oh, okay, and then, automatically, I'd kind of have built in the accept that this is the way it is now, this is a place for, for being mindful, what does it actually feel like? Yeah. So And then you know, so sometimes there's some what I want to say sort of a resolve, um, a resolve of sort of some clear understanding, some like little pearl of wisdom. Yeah. Sometimes there isn't. Yeah. Um, but those, I, I guess I'm trying to differentiate. The insight is not that. The insight is really about you know the impermanence and all of that. But the the wisdom is something different. Well, so the comment is about resolve or result and the nature of insight and understandings that might come and what is really an insight and not. Okay, when we, when we do, as we look at these. Uh, reactive habits of mind. Of course, we have all kinds of understandings coming up. It's like, wow, I didn't know I did that. And look at this, and this is connected to that. And wow, every time I get caught in this way, and isn't that amazing? And here's this button that gets pushed, and really, I think it's you know, I think it's anger, but underneath it's hurt, and 
you know. So we have all these, we have many layers of um, understanding or misunderstanding to get to, that will become more clear and understood as we just get familiar with these reactive patterns. I don't want to prioritize and say, oh, insight into impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and not-self is more important. Because those qualities of understanding come and are embedded in any of those, any personality insights. I mean, we get personality insights and we can see, you know, we don't we don't say, oh, this is, ah, yeah, this is really the dukkha characteristic, I get it. But we see the nature of suffering. We see how we suffer with something that we might have anger, for example, or impatience. We get really self-righteously justified about something, not recognizing that it's suffering until we look at it a few times and then we realize, wow, this is really this is really not satisfactory. You know, we might not say, Oh, this is dukkha and this is the dukkha characteristic, and now I'm having a real Vipassana insight. You know, <laughs> I mean, it happens in your real life. It happens with real life content. It's not out of the books. You know, the books say impermanence, dukkha characteristic, and not the characteristic. Nobody ever saw, you know, the neon lights of this is an Atavil, you know, as you have an insight into it. No, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> but if you, if you, when you, when you, when you, when you get an oh, I get it type of an insightful understanding. If you wanted to, you could stop the process right there and say, what did I just understand? Yeah, okay, da-da-da-da-da. And, and then you could see, oh, it's because I finally accepted that this is suffering. Oh, it's finally I accepted that, you know, this is this is really not controllable. I can't control that other person. I can't even control my own response. I can train the mind. Oh, that's another characteristic. You could... You could you could slot it into and see the elements of those three characteristics in these personality, psychological, emotional insights. So it's not no. Yeah. There's, uh, yeah. Do you sometimes use imagery rather than words? Sometimes you use imagery. No, I'm just asking. I mean, I do sometimes, but I'm wondering what you think about. Uh, I don't, well. Uh, Using imagery instead of words, what do you well, mean? What do you mean? Like when you have, you know, some sort of negative or, you know, whatever, some sort of thought going on in your head, and you notice it rather than sort of using the R's or doing some sort of thing that's sort of language-based, like sometimes I'll picture something really silly just to kind of mock it, you know, like I'll picture like a monkey marching band or something to like kind of sort of show myself how silly it is, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. as opposed to sort of using language in my head. Hey, if it works, <laughs> you know, if you, if you use imagery instead of imagery or, uh, you know, fant- not, not fantasy, but using visual uh, interventions instead of word interventions, if that works for you, fine. You know, one of the things that happened to me, not because I was intentionally or initiating it for, for myself, but so... When I was earlier, when I was younger, which has been any time before now, but when I was younger, <laughs> I listened to a lot of Grateful Dead. I went to a lot of shows, and so I had these lyrics in my head. And then I went to Burma. 
I listened to more Grateful Dead concerts in Burma than I ever went to in the United States. Because my mind just kept playing them over and over and over again. But there were, there were many instances when I would be meditating and I would be in, into a space of the mind that was not being recognized until some lyrics come through and I recognize the lyrics were pointing to and were an accurate vocalization of my interior experience right then. Exactly. And it's like, how'd they do that? (laughs) No, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, wow, some lyrics would come through and I'd realize wow, that's exactly where my mind is, or where my experience is. But I was, I, was, I was in it. You know, I was experiencing it, but I wasn't aware of it, that mental state. And so the lyrics just kind of woke me up to the awareness of what I was experiencing. It was really... <laughs> Who can explain such things? Yeah. Uh, my question has to do with sometimes when I'm sitting, uh, there, and I'm actually looking for an object. To, yes. And it's I'm not seeing an object. It's yes. just blank, kind of nothing. Yes. So is nothingness or emptiness an object? Um, and or I think is how how to work with that skillfully because part of me would be like oh I'm craving an object I'm craving something mm-hmm. nothing's happening mm-hmm. uh, or uh, there in other words kind of a, a, either a craving or an aversion to nothing yeah. uh, so I'm just curious about how to skillfully work with that sure so the comment is about sometimes it seems like nothing is happening. And what should I do? Should I make an object? Should I look for an object? Should I try to create something? Or is nothingness an object or or what? So that's the question. There are many... There are several places in the terrain of the mind where initially we may not recognize anything. Okay, that's just to confirm what you're saying. Sometimes it seems like nothing is happening. What do I do? So, let me ask you some questions. When you, when you come to recognize nothing happening, right? You recognize there's nothing happening. Even though you could go looking for sensations in the body, or you could look for this to see, is there something happening? There is the recognition of this statement, it seems like nothing's happening. Right? Right? So there, so there is some knowing going on. There's knowing of this conclusion, nothing's happening. So knowing is present. Okay? So, but what I also heard you say, so that's one thing you could just say, oh, knowing's happening. There. That's what's being known. Knowing is being known. Okay? You could say, because what you did say is, well, should I go look for something? Or, you know, is this, is this okay? Or, or what is, am I all right? Or, 
something like that, or you know, is this normal? Uh, you know, but when you have that kind of question about your experience, that's what's being known. Oh, questioning is being known. Wondering about this kind of experience is being known. Right? So the wondering is the object to be aware of, or questioning is the object to be aware of, or just the recognition of, like I said, knowing of nothing is being known. Sometimes I would say, I would, it, I would have the feeling that I can see, or I can, I, can, I can recognize that the mind is ready to know anything that appears, but nothing seems to be appearing. But there was this readiness, there was this potential to know anything. But then I realized, oh, that's what's being known. Yeah? But sometimes also the volume of the stream of thought, comment, narration, etc. of what's going on is so low that we don't see it. It's below the threshold of perception. But when we... Uh, something like recalibrate our awareness and we just kind of drop in a little further and then we'll see a whole stream of uh, thoughts, assumptions. Maybe they're not vocalized but there's there's experience beneath the threshold of uh, the objects that we're familiar with. Yeah, I'm, I'm listening to you. What comes to mind is Sometimes what happens for me is, I guess you could call it a defilement. Also, you get you get what? I, I will I will name it as bored. I'm bored. Boredom. Bored, boredom. Uh-huh. So now, um, uh, and I, I I have difficulty maintaining right attitude of interest and curiosity. Yeah. So yeah. that's that's the. Yeah. This is boring. Yeah. There's 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 um, there's this these kinds of experiences where. We just stop. I mean, the mind stops for a moment of for being mindful. We call it faltering of, of mindfulness. Uh, there's moments of a kind of sleepiness, which is really uh, dropping into the unconscious. There's uh, a kind of a space of non-reactivity where you're just not reacting with interest or joy, or aversion, or anything to something, and you, it's, it, there's a kind of equanimity which seems to be no experience. So we call all these kinds of experience oblivion. It's a kind of oblivion. It's just like... <laughs> you know, and then you come out of it and you go, oh, right, sometimes... You know, it's, it's, it's just a lapse of... Uh, Mindful perception. Yeah, it's you know there's several different causes. I mentioned a few of them. There's just, there's a few more, but it's something like that. You know, you're going along and you know it's you you know you're fairly present or you're with it, and for whatever reason, somehow there's just it can be momentary. It can be for a, a small uh, period of time. It's just zone out oblivion nothing to get excited about 
but they happen. Um, in a much less profound way than your Grateful Dead experience, <laughs> I find your voice running through my mind, all the, like with like the steps that I take, like in rhythm with my breath. Remember. Blah 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 blah. You got to remember the rest. The rest of that. <laughs> just to remember is not enough. It's the rest of it. Remember to recognize, right? And I think like, oh my god, is there is there a way to like move beyond that? Is is there a way to what? Move beyond that. I'm offering a second retreat. At <laughs> I'll get my voice out of your head. <laughs> uh, the the prompts. Remember to recognize the present moment of spirit. That's that's a prompt that you've heard me, and for a while it may sound like my voice. Eventually, it'll be your own, or not necessarily voice, but you know, give me back. My it has voice. your accent, so <laughs> I don't have an accent. <laughs> I'm going to ask you something that you've heard me ask before. Oh, no. Is it okay to be aware of this? Yeah. Is it okay to be aware of... That sounds like Steve's voice. <laughs> Is it okay to be aware of... What the heck's he doing in my mind? <laughs> Is it okay to be aware of... Get out! <laughs> of course it is. It's okay. And it just... If you don't have a... If you don't have a strong reaction to it, it won't... It won't bother you. It may be there for the rest of your life, but <laughs> not, like that. not like that. How about reframing? Can you talk a little bit about reframing? Reframing or restraining? Reframing. Reframing. How do you? Pardon? Yeah, the next step. Yeah, reframing. Um, Well, I think that, you know, as we get into practice, it takes a while before we're willing and able to recognize that every experience of our life is fair ground for mindful awareness. You know, we come, we, you know, I've seen it in myself, I've seen it in others, in his students that we think that there's this is this is what being mindful is these, these experiences the breath or the breath and walking you know and it takes a while before we're really willing to open up to the the whole of life you know everything I mean everything and so we often carve out, carve out these little places where this is outside of practice this is you know this is I don't need to look at that with mindfulness and, yeah. but eventually everything. So reframing is when you discover that you've carved out some private turf, so to speak, where not going there. You realize, uh-huh. okay, you need to reframe your understanding and say, this too is being known to be dealt with, to be looked at, you know, it's really confronting denial 
avoidance, aversion, uh, minimizing, dismissing, all those things that we do with unpleasant or difficult or freaky, whatever, uh, experiences in life. And bring everything into, bring everything into the view, every, everything into view with awareness. And just being willing to do that is a big step. And then being able to do that is an even bigger step. But we'll get there if we you know, keep at it. I'm hoping that um, that concentration and awareness are polarities, you know, necessary and interconnected when they're used skillfully. When what? What and awareness? Concentration and awareness. Compensation. Concentration. Concentration and awareness yeah. are polarities. So necessary and interconnected. Somehow, that the ten years of concentration practice I've been doing yeah. is somehow going to. Work and balance with building my awareness. Yes. So I'm the question. I'm seeing that now. Can you share a little you're, bit? You're not seeing it now. No. I'm, I'm Let like me reframe your understanding. <laughs> 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 so the question is about concentration and concentration practice and awareness. Let me just clarify. When you say concentration, what experience are you referring to? Focusing on the object. Okay, so focusing on an object, like a primary object, like the breath or the rising, falling, the abdomen. And then when other experience calls your attention, do you focus on that or recognize that, or do you just ignore it to go back? Traditionally, I've been acknowledge it and then come back to the breath. So just sort of like, but it has a tendency to almost zap it. Yeah, nuke it. Boom. Right. Right. And so I feel like I'm missing out on the whole discovery, exploration yeah. part yeah. of that yeah. because it disintegrates yeah. and then back to the breath again. Yeah. yeah. So the comment is when she focuses on a primary object with some intense continuity, whenever the mind is called away to another experience, she just zaps it, it disappears, and, you're, and you return to your primary object. And you feel like you're missing out on the whole investigation and opening and exploration and all that. Okay. It's feeling very elusive. Say it again? It's feeling very elusive. Elusive? Yeah. What is elusive? Um, so, so I, I think both you and the book, it, it talks about you know, if you focus, if there's pain that's arising, yes. it's not the pain to focus on the pain, but your response to the pain or the mental yeah. state. Yeah. So, yeah. when I'm exploring a mental state, it just sort of disintegrates. Yes. Before I have a chance to really get in there. Yeah, so when you are exploring or when you notice a reaction to pain, for example, and when you look at that reaction, it just kind of vaporizes and just disappears. Right. Right? Okay. There's several ways to address this question. But first I want to reassure, I want to assure you that you're practicing insight. You're not just practicing concentration. Uh, let, me, let me fill it in a little bit. 
to practice concentration, pure concentration, you know, you would stay at the object, say the breath, the nostrils, or the phrases of metta if you were doing that. And you would just keep doing that. And whenever you found yourself off of that, you would just start again. You wouldn't pay any attention to what else was being, had called your attention. You wouldn't, you wouldn't spend, you wouldn't spend even a zap second with other sensations in the body or other thoughts in the mind or other mental states. You wouldn't turn to them. You wouldn't recognize them. You wouldn't have anything to do with them. You would just, when you noticed that you weren't on your concentration object, you would start again or pick it up, break down. That would lead to a kind of pure concentration or samadhi in the fixed sense. Samadhi on a fixed singular object. Okay? What we're doing here and what you were doing is we're initially maybe using a primary object to gather some continuity recognizing, I'm going to say, the breath. Recognizing the breath. But what we're doing as we, in Vipassana practice, as we pay attention to the breath, we're actually distinguishing the qualities of the sensations that are apparent in breathing in and breathing out. So that it's not just breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out. It's, you know, eventually, initially it might be just breathing in, breathing out, or rising, falling. But eventually you start to distinguish the different movements and the qualities of the movements or the sensations to where you can have a whole sequence of sensations, for example. Well, what you will see with those, when, when the mind is able to see in that way, you are seeing the momentary arising and passing away of sensations. You know, So the breath, you realize, or an in-breath, is really a whole sequence of pixels, pixels of phenomena. And so you are seeing the impermanent arising, passing away of them. This is the way of insight. Whereas just keeping the idea, breathing in, breathing out, the idea, you don't, you don't pay attention to the, necessarily to the sensations or in the loving kindness, you don't pay attention to, you just keep that phrase going, those phrases going. So that would be more of a single object concentration. So insight practice notices the momentariness of the experience that you're paying attention to. Now, you said, well, I don't seem to be doing any of this awareness of other mental states and, you know, whatever. When you have strong concentration, and I think you've practiced quite a lot in that that tradition, uh, the Burmese tradition, then, you know, when the mind is really very concentrated, when you look at something like another mental state, you know, you said it just goes, it just vaporizes. Now I'm going to ask you a question. Why did it disappear? Did you zap it? Or is that its very nature to be impermanent? All right, it's yes. <laughs> yes, I thought you'd say I'm hoping it would stand around a little bit longer to explore it. 
Yeah. You were hoping it would stay around a little longer to explore it. But actually, in, in the kind of practice that you've been doing, to see its momentariness is really the direction of that kind of practice, when you're really focused like that. And, you know, and the mind is so quick to perceive what is going on. You get a momentary glimpse of this mental state, and you see it disappear. You know, what, what I'm talking about here in watching the mind and being aware of the mind is initially when a defiled mental state arises and we, we're caught up in you know, some narrative of suffering, you know, initially we might, our attention is called to it, we might have to spend a little time with it. What is this? Oh, this is a really frustration. Wow, what's that feel like? Oh, it feels like this, da 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 da. And then, as you as you attend to this appearance of a frustrating event in your life, for example, then you're going to see the physical, the mental, the emotional pixels of phenomena that are making up this whole thing. So you will get some more knowledge about the nature of frustration, the nature of whatever it is you're looking at initially. But as you familiarize yourself with all of these natures, the nature of fear and all of them, then it becomes, or the mind becomes quick enough, or trained enough, developed enough to just, as soon as it arises in the mind, you see it. Boom. Fear. Jealousy. Anger. Whatever. So that you don't really have to spend a lot of time with it, so to speak. But you recognize it. You have clear perception. This is a moment of, or there was a moment going by where I could have picked up a narrative of resentment, fear, jealousy, something. But you see it, it, you see it arise and, and because you've seen it so many times and you understand its nature and you understand where it goes towards suffering, then you don't pick it up. But you can recognize each you can recognize the quality of the mind the instant it arises, or as soon as you see the conditions, because we, we are, and I've pointed to, we pay attention, and in time we will discover the causes and conditions that give rise to these different mental states. So what happens is we see the causes and conditions congealing together to present Fear. And even as they're just congealing together, we recognize it, it's gone. It doesn't get a chance to develop into a full-blown you know, narrative of fear, or whatever it is. So this is how quick the mind, how quick the mindfulness can be, and how quick the wisdom that understands this is what's being seen. This is where this, 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 is where this little detour is going. Right into the ditch. Oh, I'm not going there. So that insight knowledge that was learned from dozens of times of seeing the nature of fear, seeing the nature of desire, seeing the nature of shame, seeing the nature of these things, gets so quickly accessible. So the first time, for example, the first time some strong mental state comes up, and you have to work with it. You have to really tr- 
you know, encourage yourself. Stay with it. Feel it. Feel into it. What's going on here? You know, the first time it takes a lot of efforting, so to speak. Second time, a little less. Third time, even less. You know, after dozens of times, you know, you just you just do it. You know, you have a habit of being willing to look at it, and you know, after you've seen it a hundred times, you don't you don't have to spend any time with it. It just got it, got it. See it, yeah. Because you've done that work, the mind, you the first time through is finding a new pathway in the mind of how to respond to this situation rather than falling into an old habitual reactive pattern. So we have to we have to arrest that reactive pattern of anger, fear, whatever it is. We, have, we stop that. And then we look at what is going on here until we can train the mind to find a different way of responding rather than reacting to this set of conditions. So the first time you bushwhack through the mind to find a new pathway, it's it's an arduous, you know, you really got to hang in there with right view, right intention, genuine interest, no expectation, no aversion, being willing, you know, all the right attitudes of mind. But as as you walk down this path or as you respond in this way, more frequently you develop or a new pathway is developed in the mind. And so, you know, hundredth time of seeing something, your mind just goes down the new pathway rather than the old reactive pathway. Training the mind. This is what we're doing. We're training the mind. You can't control it, but we can train the mind to respond differently than our, let's say, early childhood reactive conditioning. If only our parents were able to tell us when we first got angry as a two-year-old, hey, Stevie, see if you can do this. (laughs) Then I might have a different way of dealing with it, but we have to train ourselves. Is Is that helpful to your question of concentration? So, you were practicing concentration and awareness um, by looking at the object. We're practicing here. I'm teaching concentrate uh, awareness of awareness rather than the object. But you still get concentrated, or you still get the samadhi. Samadhi and concentration same, and it's really a result of the continuity of mindful moments. What you're aware of is not important. The way you were doing it was more primary object only and vaporize anything else. Okay, that's still the continuity of mindfulness gets really built up. And here, the continuity of mindfulness is on awareness. So it's a different experience, but still the end result is the same. Continuity of awareness, which is stability of mind or concentration. Oh. I meant to ask you during our interview this morning um, about the continuity of awareness when, you know, off the cushion, doing chores, doing yogi jobs, just moving about. Um, You mentioned a technique, uh, whenever it was, about uh, naming. Naming. And 
you know, reaching, touching, tasting, you know, whatever. Do I have that? I've been practicing with that, and it's been quite effective in sort of collecting the awareness. I just want to make sure that that is, in fact, what you meant. Yes. So the comment is, uh, I guess earlier today, in the past I have said, Hey, sometimes when you're when you're engaged in activity in the world, which isn't your normal meditation period or activity, to just slow the things down, slow it down enough to name what it is that's actually happening. You know, doing the dishes, reaching, feeling warmth, mm, swirling, you know, lifting, placing or rinsing, do 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 do, placing. Okay, so you do that. You train yourself to. You train the mind to stay present with what you're doing by naming what it is you're doing. Now, you don't have to do that all the time. You do that just so that you can slow the process down. We do these things. So much of our life is lived on automatic pilot. You know, it's just automatic. And what that means is we don't give it a thought. Now we want to give it a thought. We want to slow it down so that we can have awareness as we do these things. Mostly we're on automatic pilot. We're not aware. We're not aware of what we're doing. We can drive a car and hardly give it a thought. And be careful how you bring mindfulness to driving a car. You know, you don't just hang on, notice the sensations in the steering wheel (laughs) as you go into the ditch. That's not... But by slowing down the process a little bit and, and clearly perceiving, recognizing what it is you're doing, then that'll bring you in closer contact and more awareness of as events, as you actually experience them. Not after the fact, but as you experience them. So it's just, a, it's again, it's another technique for uh, training the mind to pay attention to very familiar and recurring activities of life. Putting on your shoes, going to the toilet, showering, combing your hair, brushing your teeth, washing the dishes. Man, big... Just think, now how many more times are you going to brush your teeth in this lifetime? You know, and it's what, two minutes, if you've got these running little timers, it's two minutes each time. Twice a day, four minutes. Every week it's uh, how many, you know, 28 minutes as a half as a half hour a week, mindfulness practice. Okay, how many weeks in a year? 52, 52 times, you know, just extrapolate out for the rest of your life. You're going to be spending a month brushing your teeth. You know, that's like a month long retreat. <laughs> And, going, and brushing your teeth is only two minutes. What about taking a shower, going to the toilet, getting dressed, you know, putting on your shoes, threading your belt through your pants? Yeah, I also find it brings a lot of attention to micro moments, like when the fork first hits the lips, then hits the teeth, then hits the tongue, and kind of yeah. brings attention to that. Yeah. Now, it... it Paying attention in this way, in a very stilted, you know, kind of mechanical way of just like, okay, you know, the, the eating exercise that Olga was talking about, you know, lifting the fork, bringing it close to the mouth, intending to open the mouth, opening, intending to place it in, placing, intending to close the mouth, closing, intending to remove the fork, removing. Then you have to decide, am I going to lower the fork first, or am I going to start chewing? 
Okay. Uh, I want to do both at the same time. No, don't do both at the same time. <laughs> okay. Lowering, lowering, lowering. Let go of the fork. Put your hand in your lap. Now you can start chewing. Okay, chewing. Well. But I'm not really. I'm kind of going at normal speed. I know. I know. Just well, you can after you after you practice that a few times and you've and you've documented or you've cataloged all of the events that are going on, then you can eat normally and you'll be aware. This is just to bring awareness to everything that's going on. You know, we can eat. We can eat and not taste anything, not even know we're eating, and be done before we recognize that, oh, there were colors, there were tastes, there were smells, there were textures, there were all kinds of, you know, feelings of satisfaction and enjoyment that we didn't even notice. We just inhaled the food, there, next. You can live that way if you want to, but you're never satisfied. But when you really stop and spend all that kind of time, then you really, you really taste all of life, not just the food, but I mean you taste, you really feel what this life is all about. It's about waking up. It's like really waking, coming out of this slumber of just kind of sleepwalking through life. That's that's all we're doing. We're just trying to kind of come out of this daydream, this big hallucination of what, you know, what we've been led to believe this life is all about and coming into the real experience of this human body, this human mind here on this earth right now, now. Oh, right. Did anybody ever stop and lead you through that? No, we just... You know, our parents do the best they can, and you know, unless we have that inner inner attunement, you can just sleepwalk through life, plugged into the you know digital airwaves, life. So. Last comment, question? Yeah. Yeah, it struck me so firmly uh, this morning walking what, what a safe place this was. Camp, developing this skill puts, puts me in a place that is, would be, will be totally safe. I mean, by that I mean whatever presents itself, I'll be ready to deal with yeah. on, on many lo- levels. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. It's safe. It felt so good. Yeah. But at the same time, it came up to me. You know, causes and conditions still have to be dealt with. Yes. And causes and conditions will present pretty bad challenges at time. Even on a, I'll give you a minor one that's going on. My wife wants me to wear shorts, gray plaid, three inches below my knee. There's a lot of causes and conditions that tell me I don't want to do that. Yeah, that's not going to end. I could be dealing with each moment as it comes up, and there's still going to be this interior mic, which is going to be the result of this and acting a certain way. Mm-hmm. So, it, it's. I wanted to ask that que- question about being in this nice, safe, skillful place, mm-hmm. and at the same time dealing with the personality and experience you've been dealt with. Mm-hmm. It's a good comment and question. Uh, we come to a place like this that's physically secluded and we have a uniformity of what we're doing here 
And you're right, it's safe. It's really important to create a safe container. We're opening our minds, we're opening our hearts, and there's some tender terrain in there. There's some very rough terrain, too. There's some, you know, there's a lot of uh, potential, you know, painful places, you know, and conflicted areas of, of our life that we can open to. And so to have a safe place as a, for an experiment of a week or nine days is important. What we're learning here in doing is training these mental muscles. We're training the muscle of remembering, we're training the muscle of you know, continuity of, effort, of energy, perseverance, we're training the muscle of perception, clear perception, we're training other mental muscles, so that when we leave here and we enter other environments where it might not be as safe, not as emotionally safe, or as personally, you know, and sometimes not as physically safe, actually, emotionally safe, that we have these muscles. We have these mental muscles to, to accurately perceive quickly what is going on, and rather than reacting out of deeply conditioned habits of fear and self-aggrandizement or self-defensiveness, we can accurately quickly and accurately perceive what the situation is, evaluate possible responses rather than just getting caught in reaction, and, and select something that's got the most wisdom and the most compassion for ourselves and others so that we don't perpetuate more suffering for ourselves or others. So that's the training. That's what we're doing. We're training the mind to have these skills. Hey, when we go back into the world of work and play and neighbors and domestic and civic, social, professional responsibilities, there's going to be other conditions we've got to work with. But the muscles, the mental muscles we develop, still valuable in the same way. So this is kind of school for the work of life. Oh, that sounds awful. <laughs> this is actually school for the play of life. <laughs> but it's true, we learn and we are going to have to deal with, you know, known and unknown challenges of, you know, personality clashes, energetic stuff. You know, it's just, this is, this is the, um, I don't know, the proving ground or something, testing ground. I didn't put that exactly what I, I meant. I meant the skills are fully developed. You don't need the training ground oh. any, anymore. Where hardened uh, muscles are, are good. Are good. Um, but then living life, there, I mean, it really fits into what you were saying. Living life, there's a lot of challenges. Well, even when we're in this totally safe place, nothing can bother us at that. I bother. I mean, we know how to deal with whatever's coming in, emotions, anger, all these things we can deal with. But then, it's almost, how do we do, what are we doing then? There, there's this still, there's this comfort zone, or there's, there's how we are, are, and it's kind of, how do we draw the lines? And what's going on at, at that point, point, when we know we can be safe anywhere, so to speak, but what, how are we going to evaluate uh, whether we're in a 
dangerous spot or not dangerous spot. Mm-hmm. It's almost physical, but it's also mm-hmm. emotional. Yeah. And everything. Yeah. How do how do we how do we know when we go out into the world and we you know the terrain is not as consistently safe emotionally, physically, otherwise? How do we evaluate that? Mindfulness and awareness will tell you exactly. If if it's unsafe, you'll feel fear. You'll have some apprehension. You'll feel whatever it is, and you'll recognize that. Uh, you know, life is a contact sport. <laughs> you know, and it's like we're going to meet all of the kinds of contact we is possible, and so some of it's going to be. Uh, I say unsafe. It's going to be unpleasant. Uh, it's going to challenge us. A lot of it is. Okay. If we have developed this willingness to engage life fully, then even if it's potentially painful, potentially, you know, whatever, well, there's a willingness, there's a there's a resolve to deal with this. This is the this is the experience of the moment. Be with it. You know, it's not that we become kind of passive doormats to all the, you know, dirty feet of the world. That, that's that's not what we're doing here. You know, we're not just kind of taking down our boundaries and so that we just have, that we're just porous and available to everyone for anything. You know, in fact, we get more skillful at recognizing the need for boundaries, maintaining boundaries, you know, clearly knowing your own space, letting other people have their space. This is your work. That's their work. You know, but being able to uh, recognize the wisdom of that and being able to construct or you know, maintain a kind of space, safe space, if you will. Thank you for all of your questions. It's helpful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.